Okay, we're uh, we're back at it. Many guys who aren't from Oklahoma, Bernie, you have no idea. We don't like them. It's personal. We got a logo too. We've been working on one for 18 years, and, and we want everybody in the country to know, with all due respect, we got a logo too. Oh, now I'm recording. Uh, so. <laughs> Missed the intro, but that's fine. Who cares? That Our game plan is still better than Mike Gundy's, Colby Powell. Thanks for joining us. This, this podcast is brought to you by Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com. We are live on YouTube, Colby. So uh, welcome in, and, and let's get to what is a uh, going to be a fun show, I think. It's going to be a doozy. Fun's probably not the right word, but it's going to be a doozy. Yeah, I don't know how you define fun. Uh, anytime, twice in four weeks now, Carson, we have had games that are so bad that we can put names on them. We've got the Manhattan Massacre and the Norman Nightmare. In four weeks, we've got two games that we can name because of the absolute atrocities that took place. Uh, that first quarter, Carson, last night, I we're going to all have to live with that for a very long time, and there is just no way to rationalize anything that took place the first 15 minutes of that game. I was there. Uh, thanks to my friend Josh Wolverton, great dude, great, great uh, OU fan. Uh, he's had those tickets from like his great grandfather that's been in his family that long. It was nice enough to bring a an OSU guy with him. Uh, I, Colby, I, just to set the scene before we get into the disaster that was the f- the fourth quarter or the, the first quarter, uh, I was rocking my Curse of Cowboys jacket. I had my my OSU uh, Jordans on. Like I was looking fresh, but I'm no idiot. I've sat. In, in OU Stadium before wearing orange, it, it doesn't go well. You get harassed for four hours. So I put the, the neutral colors on. I even had a red Manchester United hat to kind of get the red in there, like incognito. But then everyone would see my Jordans. Like, wait a second. You're not fooling anybody. So thanks again to Josh for bringing me in. But Colby, what did I tell you on the podcast? You know, I, I gave you ration, like I gave you rational thoughts and reason why OSU was the better team. But did I not keep coming back to 2020, that game with Spencer Sanders, the offense standing there like statues, running an offense that Teddy Lehman was just, like, confused. They thought that could actually have a chance of having success and just letting the D-line from OU just tee off on Sanders for the full game. Was that not just the recurring nightmare? I mean, we all know this one was by far the worst first quarter in the history of Bedlam and, frankly, the history of OSU football. Um, but did I not, was that not in the back of my mind for a reason? No, it absolutely was. And and Carson, I, it is the earliest I've ever sent out an I was wrong tweet. You know, I'm I'm not afraid to own it when I'm wrong. And I was wrong. I was way wrong. I, I, I thought maybe Mike Gundy had gotten over some of the things that we had seen in Bedlam last year. I I don't know. I, I even, I, I tweeted out, I think part of my belief in this team was left over from last year. Last year was so much fun. They always showed up ready. They always got off the bus ready to play. That team last night showed up totally unprepared to play a football game against an OU team who Carson, I, I mean, they dominated Oklahoma State last night. I still don't think they're any good, but now my opinion of Oklahoma State football has totally changed. This version of Oklahoma State football, they're not any good. They, I'm sorry, you you can't tell me that you lose a couple of guys and, and Mike Gundy wants to sit there last night and, and say, well, we, we lost Jason Brooks. He's played well the last few weeks, so that that, that was a, a struggle. Are you kidding me? One offensive lineman? You get Preston Wilson back, you lose Jason Brooks. One offensive line. I just, I was very wrong. It, it went so poorly from the jump. I, I could not have imagined 
a worse scenario. It, it was to the point where the last three quarters, I mean, I watched the last three quarters out of obligation, and I just got more and more frustrated as OU turned back into what they've been all season, the team that got them to five and five, the final three quarters, and Oklahoma State still couldn't capitalize on it. You're kicking when you shouldn't kick. Uh, you know, I, I the coaches came in with, I thought, just a absolutely disastrous game plan, but your quarterback didn't play well. He played terrible. He, he threw the ball, turned the ball over four times. It just, in every possible way it could have gone wrong, it went wrong. Um, but I, I can't start blaming the 18 to 22 year olds until we talk about the grown men making millions of dollars wearing headsets because that was an absolute disaster from those guys last night. Well, three points here. We're gonna we're gonna talk more with Marshall Scott, um, owner of uh, Pistols Firing Blog. He was in the post game. He asked Mike some tough questions that Mike bristled at a little bit. And uh, I thought, Mike, if, if you were upset with Mike Gundy, I dare you to go watch the post-game press conference and listen to that pile of horse crap that he threw out there. There was more horse crap coming out of his mouth in that post-game presser than he shovels at Gundy Ranch. And we're going to get to that. Because as badly as that game went, uh, I'll, I'll save my post-game comments thoughts. I, I'm getting angry <laughs> just thinking about Getting down a rabbit hole you're not he prepared to blamed, get out yet. Okay, so let me get this on my chest first. I, I got to get out now. We'll talk to Marshall at 1230. All he kept saying was, well, turn it over four times, gave him short fields. Can't, can't do that. Short fields, short fields, short fields, short fields. Look up the drive charts. 75 yards, 93 yards, four yards. They scored seven points off, off all those turnovers. Seven. That wasn't the reason you lost, Mike. That is complete. BS. No one's buying it. Get up there and say, you know what? My team was not ready to play. We were completely overwhelmed. We had a horrible game plan. I haven't figured out this offensive line and running game for seven, eight, nine to 10 years. I mean, we'll get to Sanders and I didn't think he played well, but Mason Rudolph's been gone from Oklahoma state for five years. He didn't have a running game. He didn't have an offensive line. He made it happen with just pure skill and having James Washington. This is, this is a decade-long issue. And for Mike to get up there and just say, well, Sanders like a few of those back, short field, short field, short field. No, dude. They, went, they marched down your throat on jaunts of 93 yards and 75 yards. One turnover. One turnover produced points for Oklahoma. So get out of here with that crap. And I'm going to talk to Marshall about it, and he'll be more rational about it. But that is – that. That was a bigger middle finger to the to the people that watch Oklahoma State football than his his tail tucking coaching decisions, which we will also get to, get to. So, Colby, let's let's go back to the start of this game. You mentioned it. It's on the coaches here. Like, look, Sanders didn't play well, but just go watch how it looked in the first two drives. Oh, you had 168 yards after two drives. They didn't have that many yards the rest of the game. The rest of the game. And what was going on, Colby? I thought Jeff Levy was being creative, tons of pre-snap motion, showing them looks Oklahoma State hadn't seen all season. There was no one in, in the vicinity of receivers. They were dinking it, dunking down the field, guys getting wide open. What happens when Sanders drops back, Colby? The only time OSU had success in this game on offense was tough, contested throws, catches, receivers making plays with guys draped all over them and Sanders could have thrown eight interceptions because that's what was happening they were totally easy to read nothing 
no attempt at, at disguising what they're doing. Oklahoma knew what they were doing, Colby. Why did Sanders almost throw a pick every time he threw it? Oklahoma, Oklahoma knew exactly where Oklahoma State was trying to go with the football at all times. Completely predictable, terrible game plan, tail firmly tucked from minute one. As soon as it went south after the first drive, there was no – the game was – like I was – it was almost comical, Colby. And it was like legit – I was legitimately laughing at how inept Oklahoma State was. And that is completely on the coaches. I am not here – I am not here to listen to Spencer Sanders – lost this game that dude played his ass off did he play well no did he have a chance to play well no this coaching staff has no idea what they're doing on offense Colby and I'll let you talk I'm, I'm talking too much but go ahead yeah no and, and I mean even Matthew here in the uh, YouTube comments there were several times Spencer was in shotgun he had guys in his face as soon as the ball was in his hands that that's all accurate the the offensive Carson I am very careful when, when talking about jobs right there are real people who hold those jobs real people with real families and real lives who hold those jobs i am very careful whenever i talk about well this may happen this may happen that's not my decision to make carson you cannot you simply cannot uh, I'll just run it back on offense you can't do it it is if it looked like oh you had osu's playbook it's because they basically did you don't run anything new. You don't scheme guys into space. You don't get anybody open. If it looks like, oh, you had the playbook, they pretty much did. And they did a great job of scheming in ways uh, that just made life miserable for Oklahoma State. It was a completely unprepared team that took the field last night. Here's my thing on, on Spencer. I, didn't, I don't think Spencer played well last night. He had four interceptions. Somebody said two of them were on the receivers, probably were, but there were about four more that OU dropped. He didn't play well. I, 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 that's fine. He didn't play well. But I know every time Spencer takes the field, he's at least going to give me everything he's got. He's going to leave nothing out there, and, and he's just going to go let it all hang out and see what happens. I can't say the same about the coaches. I, I mean, that was tail tucked. We are terrified. And you, you hear people from time to time, it's kind of cliche, well, the team takes on the, the identity of their head coach. This team takes on the identity of its head coach in this game. He is terrified of that crew down in Norman. And the team takes on that identity. That was Mike Gundy's 32nd bedlam. 32 as a player, an assistant, and the head coach. 32. Carson, do you know how many he's won? Three. Five. He's won five as a player, an assistant, and a head coach. He got two with uh, last month. Yep. I guess he, he did got, call plays for less. You're right. He called plays for less. So he got two as an assistant under less miles, three as the head coach in 32 tries. He's scared of them. And I can't make sense of it. He, I mean, he's punting with two minutes to go in the first half on fourth and two. They were in midfield. You need a spark. You're getting the ball first after half. Maybe you pick up the fourth and two and go score. You get the ball first after the half. You go score. You put some pressure on him. You make a real game out of it. His tail was tucked from the opening kick. I mean, OU comes out. First off, we probably all think that they're going to give it to Eric Gray a, a ton, right? They come out. They're just airing it out on the first drive. Boom, boom, boom through the air. And I'm like, all right. That obviously looked really bad, but I think you can adjust now because you, you probably are expecting a lot of Eric Gray, and they gave you no Eric Gray. But it, it's just to me, when I see multiple times guys are running through the hole with just unblocked at Dylan Gabriel and they run in there totally out of control and he takes one step to the side and they fly right by him, looking at you, Kendall Daniels, looking at you, Xavier Benson. That, that's not a well-coached team. 
I mean, I mean, you got guys on offense. You got receivers twice last night. Only one of them resulted in a pick, but twice last night you had a receiver stop and run a curl, and Spencer throws a go up the sideline. It happened twice last night. How often do you see that with other teams? Not very often. Often happened twice in the biggest game of the year. That team was unprepared. That team was undisciplined. Uh, I mean, yes, the re- the retaliation, the uh, unsportsmanlike conduct, the fifteen yarder should have gone against OU's offensive lineman. But you come in there and you do something stupid because you're down twenty eight to three. I mean, you, you just, it was mistake after mistake after st- mistake. It was an undisciplined football team. And at some point when, when it's just an avalanche of mistakes like that, maybe, maybe we don't look at individual players and say, hey, you played poorly. Hey, you cost the team the game. Maybe we'll look at the coaching staff and say, hey, your entire team took the field for the biggest game of the season and just didn't show up, weren't prepared to play. That's on the guys making a whole bunch of money wearing headsets. I, yes, the, the players didn't execute. But my God, if it's all of them, it's on the coaches. Well, and Colby, like when we talk about bedlams that OSU's lost, what's the constant refrain? And and it's true. Typically, they're playing one of the best teams in all of college football. That's certainly part of Mike Gundy's record in bedlam. But the fact that he has the worst, the worst winning percentage against Oklahoma Every other Oklahoma State coach ever at OSU, when they literally weren't trying to win at football for 80 years, have a better record against Oklahoma than Mike Gundy, who is the most successful coach at Oklahoma State. You can say that's baffling, and I have, and we have, but if you just watch the game Saturday, it makes complete and total sense. Because what happens? He gets a little adversity, gets down, gets a lot of adversity based on their horrible schemes that had no chance of having any success, making a five and five Oklahoma offense look like Sam Bradford and company that scored 60 in a row, six or six games in a row. They scored 60 points, but just look at the approach and okay. Yeah, it does make sense why that guy never beats that school because he's too afraid to take a chance. You mentioned it, the, the, the punting on fourth downs on short yardage when you're down in this game you have to at least show everyone you care. Carson, Carson. Show everyone that you care that you're getting absolutely depantsed on national television while you stand over there stoically and do nothing. Right, Carson, Colby? They're down four touchdowns. He's playing field position. We're playing field position down four touchdowns. We haven't even gotten to the fourth and 26 yet. No, what the hell it, are you doing? It, it's a giant, and, and, this is, and this is nothing new. Like, that's what's so, like, like that's why I just was like, when he, when he ran the kick team out there, I just, I laughed. I was like, of course, of course he's punting. Like we see this every year. Like this is, this, it was a, he is a gutless wonder when he sees that OU logo on the other sideline. There's no other way to say it. And if that upsets people, I don't care. I'm calling it like it is. And it's funny to me, Colby too, because I had so many people tweeting at me during the game that, that I suck up to Gundy and then I just kiss his butt. And then I'm like this big Gundy fan. It's like, do you listen to the podcast? Like, I think it's a fair criticism of myself to say I'm overly critical of Mike. I I accept that. I probably am. I probably am too critical of Mike given his success that he's had. I can admit that. That's fine. I I accept that. But how do you not just watch what's happened for his entire tenure? Look at his record and look at the gutless, heartless, no at like the, the punt calls. Colby, the field goal down 28, nothing. And just, it's just status quo, man. No onside kick. 
they try to reverse pass with Richardson. That's basically it as far as trying to get some momentum with a big play. And even that was a disaster. You know, (laughs) Carson, you want to talk about guys being poorly coached? Know the rule. He didn't take the snap. He's not the quarterback. You can't throw it into the 18th row. That set them up for failure. All of a sudden, it's second goal from the 17-yard line. You lose yards on second down. Now it's third and goal from the 22-yard line. That's poor coaching. You're running a wide receiver pass? How does that guy not know that he can't throw it into the 10th row? I knew that rule. Maybe it's a little bit obscure, but I'm sorry. This is too high level of football for us not to know that the receiver can't throw it into the 10th row. Even if you're not trying to throw it into coverage, throw it close to a guy. You can still throw it out of bounds, but throw it to that front pylon and throw it four or five yards out of bounds instead of into the 10th row. That's on coaching because guess what? Your player who you asked to execute in that moment didn't know the rule. Yep. It's it's so true. He didn't, he didn't know the rule just like he didn't know the rule at the central Michigan fiasco. Like, um, so and one more note, I, let, let's talk Gundy. We can talk Casey Dunn. I think he's next on the on the uh, the rundown in terms of 18 possessions in, in that performance. But I don't know how it looked on television, Colby. The, the moment when they faced a fourth down late in that game, it was so it, – it, it summed up what you're saying about a team reflecting their head coach. Spencer Sanders, they, they're short on – it's going to be a fourth and short. They're around midfield. I can't. I was in the stadium, so I don't remember the time and, and all that. You talking about the end of the first half? No, uh, it was one of their last, you know, white flag moments. Maybe it was the end of the first half. It, it was the one where they took the delay game. Oh no no no. Okay, yeah, that was that was. Uh, gosh, I'm having it all ran together. It all ran because the first quarter was such an avalanche. The last three quarters ran together. You know in the comments, I, let us know. But yeah. when it know, when it was, I think it was about, second yeah. half. But let us know in the comments. But here's my point. Talk about being a reflection of your head coach here. You know it's short instantly. Sanders just kind of, there's no, no one on the offense thought they were going for it. And they all just kind of looked at the sideline, kind of started slowly walking to the sideline. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh, oh, I guess we should go for this. And then, and then they start to maneuver. They get their guys on with 20 seconds. They took that penalty. They were never going for it. And my point here is this, Colby, that quarterback Spencer Sanders and his offense knew that that their head coach didn't believe in them going for it they knew he was not going to go for it they they had seen how gutless his decisions had been to that point you get short on that play Colby you are up and you're ready and you are getting Sanders is engaged getting the play call we're going we know we're going no they all kind of just yep we're going to saunter off to the sideline because that's what we do no no anticipation of the moment no catching OU off guard just just total white flag. And that's a reflection of their head coach Colby. I thought that was a, that was the moment for me where I was just like, wow, his own players, his own players even know that he's not going to pull out any stops. He's not going to do anything out of the, or it's just punt kick team. And even when he ran them out half-heartedly, we all knew they were taking the penalty and punting. Yeah, no. And and the fourth and two, before halftime was bad. The delay of game, uh, I'm pretty sure the delay of game was the one where Spencer went over and just annihilated some coach. Maybe it was a grad assistant. I don't know. Spencer was pissed on the sideline. Uh, and I get it because, I mean, he's getting absolutely demolished last night and doing everything he can. I mean, backpedaling at the 15-yard line to, to throw a, a lob to Quentin Stewart in the back of the end zone. It's just, it, it, it was, he played poorly, but he was asked to do a lot. And, the fourth and 26, Carson, I want to talk about the fourth and 26. So 
there was what three and a half, four minutes left in that game. And you're down by 14, 15 points. I don't care if it is fourth and 50, you don't have enough time to punt. Are you playing to win the game? Or did he just simply not want to lose 35 to 13? Because punting there, the only reason you punt there is because you don't want to lose 35 to 13. In no world are you trying to win the game by making that decision. First thing I thought of at that moment, because this is the way my sick sports brain work, I thought of Brett Favre. I thought of Brett Favre whenever they were in fourth and 26, late in the game, deep in their own territory, and they needed a miracle. Because in that moment, you do need a miracle. But I, I somehow, I, I pulled out and I was like, I remember, I distinctly remember Brett Favre converting a fourth and 26 in a very similar scenario. So I looked it up. It was 2004, fourth and 26. They went for it. They needed a miracle. It was very unlikely. You know what they did? They got 26 and a half yards, and then they went down, they drove, and they won the game. Take a chance. Maybe you'll get a P.I. Maybe somebody will go up and moss somebody. Make a great play. There are things that can happen in that moment. Yeah, you need a miracle. But guess what? If you punt, there are no miracles. You, you think they're going to muff the punt? They're not going to muff the punt. There are, there are no miracles if you punt. You're losing. You're forfeiting. Mike Gundy forfeited the game with four minutes left. Why even run back out there at that point? I was as angry at that moment as I was at any other point in the game because earlier in the game, you know, he can spout off the BS about field position. You don't want to dig yourself a deeper hole and all this stuff, whatever. But in that moment with four minutes left, and you're punting the, the football away down by 15, I do not care how many yards you need to gain. You take a chance, you try. I said this last week, and I'll keep saying it over and over and over again. If you try and you fail, we're good. That's why I, that's why I struggle getting really upset with Spencer, because Spencer tried last night and he failed. But I'll be damned if he didn't give it everything he had. Gundy went down there and tucked tail, forfeited the football game with four minutes left, and then stood up there after the game and talked to everybody as if, well, you know, it happens. No, no, it doesn't. It does not happen. Not like that in a rivalry game. Not with the worst team they put on the field in a quarter century. No, it doesn't happen. I'm angry. You're angry. The fans are angry. And the head coach who wants to forfeit the game by running the punt unit out there with four minutes left, wants to stand up there with an it happens attitude. I'm sorry. No, it doesn't. Except under your watch. It happens under his watch. Can't just, like you said, just throw it deep, get a pass in front, do a tip drill. I mean, throw, throw a Hail Mary. Like, punting there in that situation was basically telling your team, we're done. We quit. It's over. Get, get make sure you get your make sure you get your your packed lunch and get on the bus because there's four minutes left but that's where we're going that, i i couldn't believe it like you're right the game the game's basically over in that in that tense colby but it's definitely over when you punt there it just it just is and, that, and it is indefensible it, it, it's indefensible you have to go for it there you cannot punt that's ridiculous and and i'm, I'm totally with you like let, let's talk about casey dunn like it, I, i'm i'm done with it like and again this Casey Dunn's a great receivers coach. He recruits his tail off. You see all the talent they have at the receiver position. Frankly, if they had Casey Dunn's recruiting at every other position, they'd be a, a lot better football team. But Colby, it's this is as bad as it was in 09 when Gundy was calling the plays himself, had to fire himself, and hired Dana Holgerson. It, it's really that simple. They he's a clean house on offense. Uh, hire a new offense coordinator, hire a new offensive line coach. Uh, see if Dunn wants to stay as a receivers coach. If not, Great run. I mean, you've been here since 2011. Sayonara. Uh, I guess we got Marshall Scott, and we'll talk more Casey Dunn 
here in a second. Uh, we'll, we'll welcome in Marshall as he gets set up with his, his audio and everything. And again, uh, this pod is brought to you by Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. Let's hear from uh, Marshall. Marshall, I was DMing you last night. Uh, I about threw my laptop across the room when I watched Mike Gundy's post-game press conference. And I don't know if you heard me earlier, uh, ruining interceptions and short fields was his constant talking point. Marshall, they only scored seven points off turnovers. They only had one short field that they capitalized on. Um, their drive, their touchdown drives were 75 or more other than that one. It's just, and I, and I don't know what you're supposed to say after a performance like that, frankly, Marshall, but you were there, you covered it. Am I, am I being too unreasonable here to, to think that was absolute horse crap? No, I don't think so. And, you know, you mentioned like, even if they did get short fields on all four um, of their touchdown drives, they scored four touchdowns and that against that defense that they've thrown out there um, that's worse than the big 12 and defending the run. You would think Oklahoma state could score more than 13 points. Like that's where, uh, so no, I don't think, uh, you know, it was, it was just bad. Um, like you said, I don't know what, if he goes up there and throws Charlie Dickey or Casey Dunn under the bus, does that make it better? I don't, I don't know that we feel any better today than, than we, maybe we would. Uh, but yeah, I, like you said, the, the drives were, were long. They, they had the 90 plus one, obviously the 75 yard one right off the rip. Uh, and, and did Spencer play well? No. Um, but he seemed to be doing the only, he, he was the only one seemingly trying on offense. Um, it, it, the only time that Oklahoma couldn't get pressure on him is whenever they rushed three and dropped eight. And then at that point, he doesn't have anybody to throw to because there's eight defenders covering three routes um but it seemed like every time they rushed four or more uh, they were almost beating the snap to spencer sanders so yeah i i don't think you're you're wrong in saying that you know blaming this on turnovers is the issue i think it's uh, much more widespread than that it, it could not have turning the ball over help yeah sure uh, especially going in late there that, that one they threw in the end zone um but it I, I don't think that tells the whole story no, I don't think it does. And bringing up the OU defense is a good point because, I mean, they're letting everybody run for 200 yards. Savannah State could run for 200 yards against that defense. And what what do the uh, – all right, I'm, I'm going to calm down. I uh, don't want to get personal. don't want to get insulting. What does Oklahoma State do? They just run out there slinging it all over the yard, every down. OU's letting everybody run for 200 yards. They're one of a handful of Power 5 schools averaging 200 yards given up on defense on the ground every week. So yeah, I, I couldn't make any sense of that, but Marshall, we were talking about Gundy's demeanor last night in the post-game presser. And again, it just feels to me, this is 32 bedlams now for Mike Gundy as a player assistant, and head coach, he's won five. And I, I don't know if he's gotten numb to it or if he was just trying to display a sense of calm. Um, I don't, you were in the room. It, it just felt very much to me like, well, it happens. And man, that's not a message that's going to resonate with your fan base right now. The, the it's happened, it happens message after what took place in Norman last night. Yeah, I think he was, I think he was somewhat visibly frustrated just kind of by the way he was sitting. He's kind of slouching and stuff like that. I'm not like a, I don't analyze that type of stuff, but uh, it, it seemed he was more frustrated, a, a little more, you know, snippy uh, than he has been obviously in, in games past. Um, I asked him a question about the offensive line and about musical chairs because um, he's been, saying they've been playing musical and it's true they've been playing musical chairs on offensive line for the past four three four years um and i asked him how do they get to a point where that's not the case how do they get to that point and uh he did not seem to enjoy that question um he, he uh, just kind of 
you know, said that, you know, can't get hurt. And I, I, I guess that's true, but like, I, I don't know that everybody else is having uh, these types of issues. Maybe they are, and I'm just not seeing it, but yeah, going back to the run game, it's, they didn't, it was like the first two or three series. They didn't even attempt to rush, which Oklahoma state does not rush the ball. Well, they probably knew going in that they weren't gonna have success doing that. So um, I guess that that's, you know, fine or whatever, but um, you'd think whenever, you're getting stunned like that. Um, maybe try running the ball uh, right after the rip, get hand the ball to Ollie Gordon. Uh, Jade Nixon had a couple of uh, nice carries, but yeah, it was just, there was so much that went wrong that it, it doesn't seem fair to like scope in on, on one particular thing, but yeah, he, he wasn't stoked um, in his presser last night, but I could see where just like reading the words or, or listening to the words that you might say that he doesn't necessarily, he, he kind of was nonchalant about it, but I think, he was pretty just kind of reading his body language and stuff. He was pretty pedoed last night. Well, the, the running game, that, that's where I have a huge issue with, with Casey Dunn and Mike Gundy. What, what was happening? Okay. You mentioned how little they were running the ball. OU is dropping defensive linemen into coverage. That's how much they're, they're telling you, we dare you to run it. And they still wouldn't do it. And you don't, you don't see any adjustments from Casey Dunn and Mike Gundy to that. You, you got Ethan Downs in coverage. You've got Reggie Grimes, their defensive ends covering batting down passes in the in the back in this in the secondary and no adjustment no seeing what they're doing because that that was a wrinkle that they were throwing at them that they hadn't like OU was doing some stuff they're a bad football team and they let OSU hang around longer than anyone should but no adjustments nothing to counter what OU's doing that's my big problem with them but Marshall here's what Mike should have said in post game you asked a great question about the offensive line Mason Rudolph hasn't been at Oklahoma State. He hasn't been at Stillwater in five years. And what were we talking about back then, Marshall? We're talking about how it, your case for, for Mason being the best quarterback. He had no running game, no offensive line, just basically is doing what Sanders is asked to do every single Saturday, and that's just win the game by himself. And here's what Mike needs to stand up there and say. I'm paid $7.5 million. Ever since Joe Wickline left and we had the best offensive line in the Big 12, maybe in the country, with guys that weren't highly recruited just like we have now, I have not been able to fix the offensive line. That's on me. I am paid $7.5 million to have a competent, competent offensive line. OU's defensive line stinks. It's terrible. They can't run the football. Their, their offense is back to where it was in 09 when Mike was running the show. So as much as I get on Casey – this is what we've seen from Mike before. Like, and, and again, that's what you say, Marshall. Yes, we have had a terrible time with musical chairs for a decade. And that's on me. That's not on, oh, shucks, Taco Brooks got hurt. Burrito, is it Taco Brooks? Is that what they call him? Queso Brooks. Queso Brooks. Sorry. Sorry <laughs> to Mr. Brooks. And I, I do think he's a good offensive lineman. But give me a freaking break, dude. You got to stand up there and say, this is on me, man. We were unprepared. This has been a constant battle for me to fix the offensive line i'm not getting it done i'm paid a ton to get it done and i'm not it's on me i'm the head coach not well sanders would like a few of those back i mean he, he can't make those throws there short field short field i mean turnovers what are you gonna do i mean that that is just a slap in the face to anyone who gives a rip about osu football that that it was i thought i was upset with Mike after the game. And then I watched that post-game press conference, Marshall. That was ridiculous. It, it makes you uh, just kind of be awestruck with how good Jalen Warren was last year. That Because it's essentially the same guys on the offensive line, um, essentially the same offense. 
Um, and Jalen Warren just kind of found a way. So um, maybe they just need an all everything slippery bowling ball that can run 25 miles an hour. Those don't grow on trees. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And I'm curious, you know, Casey Dunn, you say, Carson, you know, the offensive line is tough on Casey Dunn. I do think it's tough on an offensive coordinator whenever the offensive line struggles so badly. But, but, there's a big but here. If you are in that position, the position that Casey Dunn is in, you have to be able to coach around your weaknesses and coach around your deficiencies. There are very few teams, very few offenses in college football that are perfectly well-rounded, that have a great offensive line, elite receivers, good blocking and receiving tight ends, a great running back, and an A-plus quarterback. Those offenses don't really exist, very few of them. You've got to be able to coach around your deficiencies. And instead of coaching around the deficiencies, I feel like he's magnifying them by continuing to run basically one run play all year. So basically one run play. Line up in the pistol or beside Spencer, just give it to you, run right behind the center. That doesn't work. That's mostly what they've run on the ground this year. Off In the passing game, very little motion. You just kind of line a couple guys up on each side. Maybe you get real crazy and you go trips left one time and you just run guys down the field. Two guys run a go, two guys run a curl. Oh, let's see. Maybe somebody can beat somebody. It should not always be about, well, my receiver needs to be able to beat the guy that he's playing against. Did Jaleel Farouk beat the guy who was covering him when he was wide open for that touchdown last night? No, he did not. He was schemed open on a play where it looked like he was going to sit back for a screen and then he took off and OSU didn't account for him because they schemed him wide open. Marshall, I just don't see guys being schemed into space. I think as an offensive coordinator, every offense has deficiencies. You have to be able to coach around them, not use them as an excuse. And that would be uh, probably my biggest criticism of Casey Dunn is I think he has done a very poor job of coaching around the offensive line deficiency. Yeah, it seems like it's been a while since there's just been an Oklahoma State receiver just running open at some point. It seems like that used to be somewhat commonplace. Now, though, like the most consistent passing play they have, I think it's like a three-level route, um, it out like a 10-yard out route from, from Brendan Presley. That seems to work somewhat consistently, uh, but I imagine you can only go to that so many times a game. But, yeah, it does seem like it's been a really long time since there's just been a breakdown in a defensive backfield that's left a, an Oklahoma State receiver wide open. Even thinking back to, like, the – um, JP Richardson's 83 yard catch from, from Gunnar Gundy. He was essentially running by, there was a defender there. Um, it was just a really good throw, really good catch. But yeah, it, like you said, it does seem like it's been a long time. Uh, and that kind of was what Oklahoma state was known for was it was, you know, exploiting defenses and finding ways to, to get guys open and, and then just running down the field. So yeah, it, it does feel like that's been uh, far too long since, since that's even happened. Just, just one time, just, just one time. So Marshall, you were in the post game, like, a lot of people were asking about um, the blow up on the sideline with Spencer apparently yelling at one of the guys that, that calls in the plays signals and was mad at the booth. Was there any talk post game amongst, you know, Casey Dunn, coordinators, players, was, was anyone asked about that? Cause we've been, we've been a lot of comments on that. Yeah. So being in the press box, I didn't see that happen. I heard about it obviously after the fact, but I, I hadn't heard anybody ask okay. anything about that. Yeah. I was just curious just cause people were commenting on it, but just Marshall, what, you know, you wrote your 10 thoughts. Um, what, you know, we Colby and I have been firing off our all of our takes. What when you sat back and you got up in the press box after talking to everybody, what was really kind of the thing that really stood out to you that you wanted to address and that really kind of stuck out and was your overall kind of opinion of what you watched? 
Um, it, it's just kind of like, this is the antithesis of, this is what being an Oklahoma state follower an Oklahoma state fan is. Um, I think OSU fans, it was almost comically bad at the beginning that Oklahoma state fans were kind of almost over it at the beginning. They were like, okay, well they're in on the joke at that point. It's 28 to nothing. The game just started. Um, let's make a bunch of memes and, and just like laugh through the pain. Um, and then of course they give you that little bit of hope, um, uh, with, you know, the defense gets the stops, uh, the offense scores once or twice. And then it's like, wait, is this actually possible? And then, no, it's not. Um, it's it's not possible. Um, way to get your hopes up and, and get your heart ripped out again. So I, it, the offense was just so bad. Um, the, obviously, the, the the first quarter was rough. Um, you, you guys mentioned the fourth downs earlier. There, a lot of I know that I listen to podcasts all the time. I know that you guys, uh, Colby in particular, um, not a fan of of punting on fourth down uh, very often. But a lot of times, I can at least see what Gundy's argument is. It seemed like for some of those, I just, I didn't, I didn't even get like, I asked him that question after the game, like why in those second quarters, um, did you like to punt on, on some of those? And he said, well, you know, we can't get in a bigger hole. And it's like, is 35, nothing really that different from 28, nothing like, <laughs> and then whenever uh, they kicked the field goal, uh, fourth and from a seven or something like that, um, that turned a four score game into a four score game. So it's like, I, I don't know that I'm usually like, I can see at least where, where he's leaning. Um, on those calls, uh, but those in particular last night, I was like, I don't even get, I don't even get why you would, why you would do that. Yeah, there are, there are times in close games where I've actually come around and this season I've said on this podcast, I kind of get it. I kind of get why he's punting in some of these situations and kicking in some of these situations because in close games, he, he's made it work and, and he's been very successful with it. Wasn't a close game. Like you said, you're turning a four score game into a four score game. I tweeted last night, Mike Gundy is an artist and the kickers are his paintbrush. I, I don't know if he has some kind of personal connection to the kickers. I don't know what the deal is, but it was, it was maddening. Uh, watch them punt the ball in some of those situations. So um, I, I don't know, Marshall, from here, you move forward, you got West Virginia and then you've got a bowl game, but it just feels like, you know, so much momentum surrounded this program after last season. And after last night, it just fully feels like every bit of it is gone. And like, there's no way you can just run the exact same scenario back next season. So um, I think a lot of, of, of listeners, fans, uh, even myself, I, I don't know where it goes from here, but I cannot imagine that the fan base is going to tolerate um, sitting through another season of what we watched take place over the last roughly five weeks. Yeah. And you mentioned earlier, I don't like to call for people's jobs uh, either, especially publicly, but like, it's not it, fun. It, yeah, it's not it does. Fun. It does seem like that's where this is headed. If this continues this way, I, I wrote this in thoughts last night is that, you know, this was, this was the bedlam game that like happens every year. Um, it, it felt different going in this year because OU stunk. Uh, but you know, this bedlam game happens every year. OU, OSU will probably beat West Virginia next weekend. They'll get some momentum. They'll feel really good going into this bowl. Um, they'll run that quarterback throwback that they, they seem to throw every bowl game. Maybe they hand it off to a James Castleman type. Um, and, and then everybody will feel really good about things again. That's just kind of, the, it's the cycle um, and it's going to keep going. And I don't know, something, something I thought was interesting was Spencer Sanders broke Mike Gundy's record for most interceptions by an OSU quarterback last night. He's up to 40 now. And at the same time, Spencer Sanders is two wins away from tying Mason Rudolph for the most wins as an OSU quarterback. That, that to me is like, is the Spencer Sanders era right there. It's, I obviously, like you guys, don't blame him for the loss last night. Um, but at the same time, can't really go throw, throwing four interceptions in a game. Uh, but that nothing explains what it was like watching Oklahoma State football in the Spencer Sanders era than most interceptions ever and possibly most wins ever. So it's, 
it's confusing. I don't get it, but it's OSU football. Yeah, Spencer makes a lot of his own bad breaks with the throws he's made throughout his career, but I really thought this was kind of sums up Spencer's career too. He throws a ball directly through Brennan Presley's hands right before the interception in the end zone. Like he catches that they're right down near the goal line. You score there. Like we got a game and I mean, Sanders puts a perfect ball into his best receivers hands and it just, it goes right through his hands. So like as much as I'm hammering Mike and rightfully so and the coaching staff for how abysmal that was, your dude's got to make plays, man. Like Brandon Presley has to make that catch. And it led to the very, I think it was the very next play, maybe the one after that Sanders throws the pick in the end zone. That really, to Marshall, your point, kind of encapsulates the Sanders experience, really. I thought that was an interesting, you know, kind of butterfly effect there. If, if Brennan catches it, I feel like Sanders had a lot of those throughout his career, too. Yeah, and it's it's just uh... – it was it was a better performance from him than like it's being compared to the Big 12 championship game from last season where again they couldn't run the ball they couldn't do anything but it this one Sanders the fight was evident that that he wanted to win that game um it just it just didn't come to be I don't it, anytime that your punter is you know perhaps your best player and his backup punter is not even Tom Hutton at that point um it's not going well and how do you have two receivers go over 100 receiving yards and score 13 points. I don't understand how any of this is possible, how we're talking uh, like we're talking today. It just, it was like a fever dream down in Norman last night. By John Holcomb's math on the post-game show, uh, we were driving back from my parents. He actually added it up. He said by his math, Oklahoma State ran 48 plays on OU's side of the field. 13 points. And it felt like a long time that OSU wasn't even going to get to OU side of the field. You know, whenever it's 28 to nothing, um, it, they had a hard time getting past their own 30. So it was a tale of not even two halves, a quarter and the three other quarters. Uh, but even in those three other quarters, Oklahoma State just – I haven't looked at the red zone stats, but I don't know that I want to at this point. Uh, Trammell, Barry Trammell had this stat. Over the final three quarters, Oklahoma State had a 24-5 to five edge in first downs. 24-5. to five. And they only outscored OU ten nothing. And that's, I believe that's okay. hard. That's hard to do. It's hard to be that to have that many possessions, that many first downs, and have nothing to show for it. And even their touchdown, Marshall, it all it was almost a disaster. They're on like the goal yeah. line. Sanders has three dudes ready to kill him, and he he floats it to like the eighth string tight end, and it. Even that was hard. Even their one touchdown with 18 possessions like could have spelled disaster. That's that kind of sums it up for me. But Marshall, yeah. we appreciate you coming on, man. Any, any last words before we send you off? Um, no, just more stats. Quentin Stewart's first catch was that that play that it just. I'm not even sure that there were like two guys kind of in that area. I don't even know if Sanders was thrown at him. And OU was also one for 14 on third down and won that game by double, double digits. So. Yeah, it's a it's the head scratching loss of all head scratching losses. But um, yeah, thank you guys for doing what you do. Um, let's let's keep the blood 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 pressure low a little bit. Um, we'll we'll relax and well, we'll Colby's Colby's mom Kim has entered the chat, so the blood pressure's rising. It's going back but up. <laughs> Marshall, thank you for letting us to continue to do this podcast on on your website. You do a great job, and you're you're a great guy to work for. So we we've, it's been a fun season. It's been a weird one. It's been a yeah. frustrating one because it usually is, but. We appreciate doing the pod with you, man. Appreciate uh, it. Yeah, thank you guys. I hope I'm going to Orlando. That's where I want to go. Just, oh, wait. Whoa, 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 whoa. That's you where want I want to go to Orlando? That's the worst ah. bowl experience of my lifetime. 
big Disney guy right here. Okay. All right. All right. Well, in TV, we didn't have time to do any of that. We just had to just travel to the, the seventh circle of hell, which is the Orlando airport during the holiday season with kids mm -hmm. clubbing you over the head with Nerf bats and stuff. So good luck with that if that's where they go. All right. Appreciate you guys. Thanks. All right. See you. See you, Marshall. Uh, Colby, we got to get to uh, bullets and BBs here soon, but I, I did want to mention the defense. And, we, you know, we've been talking a lot about Casey Dunn, Mike Gundy, rightfully so. How do you explain this, Colby? Like, and this is kind of something we've seen with, with Jim Knowles where they get off to these slow starts, but with Jim Knowles, they just pitch shutouts in the second half. Well, I think this was like Jim Knowles on steroids. They gave up 28 in the first quarter. They gave up 299 yards, which is the most – yardage OU's ever had in a quarter it's the most in bedlam history it's as bad as you can possibly play on defense Colby how do you explain giving up 300 yards in the first and then 100 something in the the, the the following three quarters make make it make sense yeah so here's here's my attempt to make it make sense so I said this earlier the first drive right out of the gate I assumed it was going to be a lot of Eric Gray and they dropped back and threw it on what I think it was five or six play drive they dropped back and threw it every snap so I'm like okay you weren't prepared for that. They, they, they did exactly the opposite of what you were going to think. Let's throw that one out. Maybe you, you kind of pick it up from here. And then it happened again. And then it happened again. And then it happened again. Well, one of those times they scored from the four-yard four line. But you get my point. The idea of halftime adjustments, halftime adjustments are great. <laughs> You've got to make an adjustment before you're down 28 to nothing. You've got to make an adjustment before you're down 28 to nothing. I don't know what changed after the first quarter. Uh, maybe OU got a little more conservative. I, I don't know what the case was. Uh, the tackling was poor in the first quarter. Guys seem to be playing out of control. I already mentioned, talking about Kendall, Dan, Kendall Daniels, Xavier Benson, both had times where they were just unblocked running at Gabriel, who's he's an okay runner. He's medium elusive and just takes one step to the side. Guys fly right by. I mean, that's that's coaching. You, you've got to go back there under control. Guys on the back end getting lost. Um, yeah, it, it just – Derek Mason is in year one. Derek Mason has shown signs of life this year. I'm not ready to sit here and say, yeah, maybe it should be a one-and-done year for Derek Mason. I think there are some things to work with. I also think that he was dealt a tougher hand than the guys on the offensive side of the ball. Derek Mason came in. He had to fill the shoes of the best defensive coordinator in school history. He had to fill the shoes with the best defense in school history, and he lost Devin Harper and Malcolm Rodriguez and Colby Harvey Peel and Trey Sterling and Christian Holmes and Tanner McAllister. He lost all those guys. Bernard Converse. Jar Bernard Converse. And he comes in and it's like, all right, make the defense work. At times he has, at times he hasn't. But I can rationalize why, after what we saw last year, there was going to be a drop off. The other yeah, side of the ball, I can't really do that. So when I sit here today and I say it's tough to run some things back, again, I said it, Marshall said it, calling for jobs is the worst. It's not fun. I hate doing it. These are real people with families and lives in Stillwater. But I don't know how Mike Gundy could justify bringing Casey Dunn or Charlie Dickey back last year because this has been a travesty of epic proportions, um, a, a disaster unlike many that we've seen in the Gundy era on offense for Oklahoma State. I, I don't know how you could justify uh, bringing back your offensive coordinator or your offensive line coach at this point. Um, and, and I take no pleasure in saying that, but that is the reality that Oklahoma State football finds itself in. Is the offensive line worse than when Dickey arrived? Yeah. Yes, it's worse. How can that, like, that, that is hard to fathom as bad as it was before his arrival. But I think, I think we're there. I mean, I... They played well at times last year. How much of that was Jalen Warren? Uh, Godlevsky made a big difference, and that's kind of 
that's a big point I want to make too. Like OSU's had success in the transfer portal. And uh, I think it was Carson, another Carson in the chat, uh, Carson, Carson Yalch, Yalch maybe. Yep. So our recruiting class is still 70th in the country and ninth only to Kansas in the big 12, uh, 11th in the new big 12, potentially the worst class in Gundy's career coming. Oh, and he doesn't like the portal was, was Carson's comment. Yeah, like exactly. So that's my biggest concern. Obviously the, the bedlam thing, like we only have to put up with it two more years. So it is what it is. Mike's never going to change on that. But what is going to change is OSU football if they don't get some guys in the portal, Colby. I mean, to, to be that low in recruiting already uh, this late in the game and then to, to adamantly say you're not big on the portal and that the portal is going to slow down like that, that's concerning moving forward. But to your point too, Mason, it's Mason's first year. Like this, this is Dunn's, you know, Dunn's been the offensive coordinator for years now. Dickey's been the offensive line coach for years now. I think even they can admit it's not working. So that, that's a, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a fork in the road moment. I think Colby for the, the, the future of OSU football. It really is like coming off all that momentum from Notre Dame. Uh, it's, it's shocking how far it's seemingly going to fall here in just one year. No, you're right. And River Moore asked a great question on YouTube. How bad does this hurt the brand? We've got a logo too last year. I believed it. I felt it. I think we all did. I don't feel that today. I, I don't feel that. I, I don't feel like I have any right to sit here and make fun of Iowa or Minnesota or Illinois or Indiana. And I want to make fun of them so bad. I want to make fun of them so bad because they're train wrecks, but Man, the last month, Carson, has done so much harm to Oklahoma State's image nationally. A school like Oklahoma State, you have to spend so much time digging out of the mud in college football to get people nationally to respect you. The guys on first take, the, the guys on whatever, the, the Fox College game day. It takes so long to put so many good seasons together to have those guys respect you. And that's always been the problem for Oklahoma State, getting the national respect, is you have a great season. And then you follow it up with a couple of duds. You can't do that. You cannot continue to follow up great seasons with duds and expect people to respect your logo. I, I mean, you want them to respect it the one year that you're great. Yeah, last year, the logo should have been respected. Last year, Oklahoma State had a logo and a brand. This year, you don't have to respect that logo. And that's the problem. You can't string really good high-level seasons together. So um, I, I don't know. It just feels, it, it very much feels like a plateau at the moment. And, and last year felt like momentum. It felt like, okay, let's get to the new Big 12 and let's be the big fish in the small pond. Uh, and, and now it feels like we're just going to be swimming down there with the rest of them. I have a question. And it just kind of popped into my head. People were talking about transfer portals, transfers, what happens when Sanders leaves. Colby, what, if you're Spencer Sanders and you want to play college football, what, why wouldn't you enter the transfer portal? Why on earth would you want to play behind that, that offensive line that scheme, the frustration we saw on Saturday, like, doesn't he, like, wouldn't, wouldn't he, that doesn't he look at Bernard Converse playing at LSU, McAllister playing up at Ohio State? I'm not saying that's the caliber of program Sanders is going to go play quarterback. I'm not saying he's going to be the Alabama quarterback next year, but I wouldn't blame him at all if he transferred to another college and played college football next year. Um, I kind of think he's done just his age, sixth year, beat up. Time to go make some money however you can. He can make a roster somewhere. There's, there's a lot of bad quarterbacks in the NFL, and he maybe he won't, but at least he, I, I think he wants to try. But maybe I'm wrong, Colby. What do you think about him entering a transfer portal and saying, give me, give me the heck out of this offense? I wouldn't blame him. 
Yeah, it's interesting that you bring this up. We talked about this last night. Spencer Sanders, I think his stock has has dropped significantly this season. Um, and last night, that that's the one primetime game that Oklahoma State had this year. They got one out of 12. And, and that was the one that he put on tape. Uh, and and the, the guys at the next level watched. He wants to play in the NFL. I know he does. This season hurt his chances of being on a roster next year because it went so poorly for the Oklahoma State offense. I don't think it's totally out of the realm of possibility that he says, look, guys, I'm a cowboy forever. Ride or die, I bleed orange. But you know what I'm going to do for one year? I'm going to go up to Oregon. I'm going to take Bo Nix's spot since he's going to age out. I'm going to go up to Oregon. I'm going to take Bo Nix's spot. I'm going to light up Pac-12 defenses all year, and I'm going to get picked in the fourth round. I don't think that's totally out of the realm of possibility, and I don't think I could sit here and be mad at him if he made that decision because Spencer has given everything that he has to Oklahoma State football, and I I think he was betrayed a little bit by his coaching staff this year. I I don't know what his future looks like. It could be another year in Stillwater. It it could be an attempt to go to the NFL. It could be a transfer to somewhere else, but I I really looked at that Oregon squad with Bo Nix, who I believe is aging out after this year, even with the COVID year, and I'm like, man, Spencer could go to Oregon and just torch Pac-12 defenses for a year and potentially go from an undrafted free agent fighting for a roster spot to a a mid-round guy who they're at least going to keep you around as the backup. I I don't know. At this point, I think he has to do what's best for him, uh, and I will will pass no judgments on his decision. And that sounds pretty fun to me, going up to Oregon and not playing behind that offensive line he was running for his life with last night. And someone, um, let's see here, Bryce Little says, put Sanders in the Big Ten, he'd be an alien. How about Spencer transfers to Iowa? Oh, and God. Let, that would be a great experiment. It like, would. We would get to see how much of OSU's offensive success, you know, when they were rolling earlier this year, is solely due to Spencer. Because we think it's a lot. I think that would show us just how much if he was able to move the football with Iowa. Because someone, I think Marshall put it in his 10 thoughts. I think Iowa's averaging like 23, 24 points per game over the last four games, and OSU's averaging 13. Like. <laughs> let's see it let's let's put spencer up at iowa uh, make make the big 10 great again spencer i would love to see that is the worst part of the last month that we can't make fun of of iowa anymore we can't sit here and make fun of iowa no well, joke's on me now i mean i'm not yeah. i'm not tweeting anything about iowa when i watched what i watched in person on saturday yeah. uh that did you, that did you iowa connect? iowa would need a COVID mask watching that offensive performance. It stunk so bad. That's at Iowa. Any, at any point, did you regret going to the game last night? Oh yeah. I mean, 28, nothing. I was like, well, I got a ride here. I can't just Uber home. And they were nice enough to bring me and, you know, put me up in like the, I was straddling the 50 yard line. It was a great seat. Perfect height. You're not too low, not too high. But at that moment, I was just like, I just, I just would rather be in a warm house, just flip into another game at this point. I'm, this game's over. This game is over at 28 nothing. Just absolutely over. So, yes and no. I I still when OSU started making their comeback, Colby, or I, I call it a comeback. Like OU's so bad at football, they allowed Oklahoma State to hang around, basically, is what happened. When when Michael Turk, the OU punter, who I thought was great and was a big factor in this game, and I, I thought OSU's backup punter was really good too. When when Turk booms that punt, however long it was, and it's rolling end over end into the end zone and then just stops on the one there was an OSU guy behind me I just looked at him and just like is this this is just what we this is just our existence isn't it in this game whatever can go wrong 
will when when and I think that's how Mike coaches. I, I really do. Uh, and so we're all in this ride together. We just wish the conductor of this ride would put it in a different gear and put the pedal to the metal and try to make something happen instead of just rolling over and dying and just hoping it ends. Uh, yeah, somebody, J-Rod here says, I turned it off at 28-0 and watched USC v. UCLA. Fair play, J-Rod, fair play. Good call on your part. Uh, Nick, Nick Chabot says, Carson, tell us more about that majestic cowboy you were tweeting behind. I was saving that for bullets. Let's get to bullets and BBs. Uh, my first bullet. This man was just minding his own business. He wasn't doing anything outlandish. I just, I loved that jacket. That jacket was just vintage, like a vintage online shop in like Brooklyn would be able to sell that for like $400 probably. It was awesome. And he's rocking the cowboy hat. But every time like they scored, you know, immediately, I would just kind of glance down and he was just kind of, he was just kind of sitting there with his, his beer and just, you know, shaking it for the audio listeners. I'm, I'm just kind of casually drinking my beer, shaking my head, just taking what we know is coming to us when Bedlam rolls around. And I thought he left. I thought he was leaving at 28, nothing. So I took a picture and said, what a soldier just didn't get, didn't get flustered. Didn't say a word. Just, just kept pounding that beer steadfastly doing his part, not leaving. And he, he came, I think he was just getting another brewski and he came back and he and I, I kind of, I didn't talk to him the whole game. I just kind of felt like you've seen some, some S and I, so have I, and we're in this together. We made this horrible decision to come to this game. Let's just ride this out together. Just we're, we're, we're together in spirit. And then I saw him leaving at the state. I thought it was a perfect shot of him walking on. I just said, good ride, cowboy. Good ride. You, you stuck it out to the bitter end, despite Mike Gundy giving you absolutely no reason to have any faith at all that he was going to pull out all the stops and try to beat Oklahoma when they're playing the worst Oklahoma team of Gundy's entire tenure. And so pull it to that man. I don't know his name, but he had an awesome outfit. Wasn't afraid to wear that on the 50 yard line and Memorial stadium, mind his own business and stuck it out. So credit to you, sir. Uh, yeah, I'm going to give my bullets to OU and it's not for their performance last night. It's for their decision to go to the sec and essentially end bedlam. Um, I, I hate Bedlam, Carson. It It's a heartbreaker every time. Uh, my daughter is seven months old. I was talking to her last night. You know what I told her? I said, I am so glad that you will never be old enough to remember a Bedlam. I am so glad that you will not have to live the same existence that I have lived for 30 years, just knowing that I only get to be happy about once every eight to 10 years. And, and every other year, it's just misery and pain and trash talk from that fan base. And by the way, they deserve to talk the trash. I tweeted out last night. We talked ours last year. They get to talk theirs last year and we just have to sit here and take it. I love bedlam trash talk. Uh, I love dishing it out. So I, I think it'd be a little hypocritical of me to, uh, to, to go with them and, and try to lessen the trash talk. They can say whatever they want. Um, but yeah, good on them for going to the sec. Please go as soon as you can, as soon as you can get out, please go and never come back. Uh, I just, I, I'm so over just watching that team do that to us seemingly every year. Yeah. The further I get removed from Bedlam each season and the more we talk about it going away, like, oh, no, man, I love Bedlam. Like it's the biggest game of the year. It's when we all get fired up for and all that stuff. When I was in the stadium, Colby, I said, I'm good, man. I'm done. I, I'm, I do not, I do not want to watch one of these ever again. Um, it's pain. I'm fine. It is- and it, and I really, and again, like, Losing to OU is 
a way of life. That's what we're all used to. That's just how it is. Like, I don't get upset about that. What I get upset about is the guy who's paid seven and a half million dollars to care the most about winning that game seemingly cares the least out of everyone. And that that's something that I will not stand for. Like, again, show me you care. You're getting embarrassed. And I'm with you on the, 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 the daughter story, Colby, uh, my girlfriend's two daughters. Uh, they don't really have an allegiance yet. They watched the game last night. One of them was nice enough to make me an OSU ornament. It was the sweetest thing. And I told her, I said, you know, look, I know you don't, and she picked, I guess she picked OU in school this week too. So I think she's obviously riding the fence. <laughs> I just, I kind of pulled her aside and said, Hey, I know you like OSU too. Um, I saw you picked OU in school. That's probably the right decision. That'll save you a lot of pain, a lot of sports fandom pain. That's what it's like being an OSU fan. Now, we, I wouldn't trade it for the world. I, I like not rooting for a juggernaut. That's just not interesting. It wouldn't be interesting to me to be an Alabama fan. Um, I say that with my Manchester United thing, but I'm still with them, even though they're, they're terrible now. I was going to um, say, they're, they're, they're garbage now. So Right. And so, yeah, it's but Bedlam can't hurt me anymore, Colby, I guess is what I'm getting at. There's pain involved, but I had friends text me, like, what's your thoughts? Like, I'm fine. Like, Bedlam can't hurt me anymore. Uh, I'm just sick and tired of seeing a, a, a gutless, gutless coaching performance in that ballgame. Yeah, it was tough. It was really tough. Um, uh, just honorary bullet, Tanner Brown just keeps running out there and kicking field goals. Uh, I mean, nothing else works, and I don't want to see him running out there kicking field goals. Definitely should have gone for it. Down 28 nothing, you kick the field goal to make it 28-3. I was beside myself. It's just a, a great tweet. Anytime you have a chance to take a four-score game and make it a four-score game, you have to do it. Uh, but, sure, Tanner Brown, I uh, he's the one guy I know. Every time he walks out on the field, I know what I'm getting. So, Tanner Brown, you get a bullet. Uh, not so much for last night, the whole season. Uh, bright spot. Bright spot's the kicker. Yep. Uh, Shout-out to the punter, too. What's his name? I Logan Ward. Yep. He was awesome. I thought he went toe to toe with Michael Turk, who's going to be playing the NFL as a punter. That guy, that guy's unbelievable. But he, uh, uh, yeah, Logan Ward, by the way, solid number choice for a punter. When you're the backup punter, they you take what they give you, and apparently no one wanted 69, but it was a nice choice to to take that one. Uh, BBs, how many you got, and where are you starting? Uh, well, I've got a little whiteboard here, but I ran out of space. Um, we can start with the offensive. No, I'm not going to start with the offensive staff. I'm going to start with the head man. It's just, again, another Mike Gundy team showed up unprepared to play Bedlam and got punched in the mouth. And there have been a lot of times where you can rationalize it by saying, look, the guys on the other side, that's one of the five best teams in the country. They were five and five. They're not any good. Now, neither is Oklahoma State, but West Virginia just beat them last week. They switched quarterbacks mid-game and beat them, even despite OU having a 200-yard rusher. K-State punched him in the mouth down there. TCU, even before Gabriel got hurt, was beating him up. Their only other wins in conference were Iowa State and Kansas. Iowa State and Kansas. They're probably going to lose to Texas Tech next weekend. They're not any good. And you come out like that, they were totally unprepared to play, and it's just, I, I don't know, man. I This fan base has a lot of love for Mike Gundy, and this fan base should have a lot of love for Mike Gundy. He's the best coach in school history. And it just makes the Bedlam failures stand out even that much more. The fact that he's been so good over such a long period of time, but yet the momentum can't be sustained. The back-to-back -back elite seasons can't be sustained. It's just a Fiesta Bowl and then a dud. And then in eight more years, we'll have another Fiesta Bowl, and then there will be another dud. And Bedlam just keeps happening over and over again. So I, I have to start at the top with Mike Gundy. He, he gets the first BB.
Yeah, I mean, let's face it. Bedlam's been a complete nightmare for Mike Gundy. That was probably the worst yet. And think about that. Think of how many nightmare games, performances, blowouts, heartbreakers, you name it, that he's experienced in that Bedlam game. That was as bad as it gets. Colby, OU had 12 straight possessions ending in punt or turnover. And they won by 15 points. Think about that. That is, that's the worst nightmare Mike's ever had as a head coach of a performance. Think that is, earlier this year, I went through it. No Big 12 team had more than like 12 possessions in a game in certain weeks. And they went 12 straight with nothing. And you weren't even, you weren't even close to really winning that game. You're, you were close at times to try and cut it to a one-score game. You never did. Um, it's just the nightmare continues, and it, it's somehow, some way. I didn't think think it was possible. It got worse on Saturday, and it's just, it's it's honestly, it, it's kind of funny at this point. Like that, last night was a parody of what I envision a Mike Gundy coached Bedlam football game. It was, it was like I was watching. It was like I was having a nightmare being there in the stadium. It was like a parody. It's like there, there, there's no way that just happened again, right? Like they, they didn't just do a pop pass off a guy's forehead, did they? They're that poorly coached. They're running pop passes, throwing them off each other's heads. Like it's just a joke. It's a flat out joke, and it's it's a tired one. It's a tired one. It, it is. It, it looked like if Saturday Night Live were to write a skit as to what Bedlam would look like, even if OU's terrible. That would be the Saturday Night Live skit is what we watched last night. 28 to nothing before you've even gotten your snacks and sat down. Uh, and then you just dominate them defensively for the next three quarters and you can't score. That is Bedlam in a nutshell. Uh, my next BB, Carson, is a, it's a joint BB because I've realized as we're talking about all this, we're talking about Casey Dunn, we're talking about Charlie Dickey. And we're like, well, is the offensive line struggling because Dickey can't because Dunn can't scheme around it? Or is Dunn struggling because the offensive line is so poor? It's both. It's a symbiotic relationship between your offensive line and your offensive coordinator. It all has to work together. Charlie Dickey, since he's gotten there, the offensive line has gotten worse. I, it was bad when he got there. It's worse now. One guy goes down. One guy. What other, what other Power 5 program that wants to doubt itself? Oklahoma State over the last 10, 15 years has been one of the best 10, 15 programs in the country. Who else does that and can't? Put an offensive line out there together. You lose one guy, and it all goes to hell, and you can't block. There was a there was a period late in that game, Carson. I think it was on the fourth and twenty six series. Oh, you rushed three, and Jalen Redmond got there immediately and took Spencer Sanders to the ground immediately. They rushed three, so it's a joint BB for both of them. The offensive line has gotten worse since Charlie Dickey took over. The offense has gotten worse since Casey Dunn took over. That's not an accident. That's not a coincidence. That's a poor offensive coaching staff and. I, I very seriously doubt it will be the same in 2023. Um, and I can't imagine how you, how you could justify it being the same in 2023. No, I agree. I mean, it, it really, you know, all the bedlam talk aside, like the bottom line is they're, they're not going anywhere unless they fix the offensive line. It, it, they're, they're that bad that it's almost it, the, the offense at this point is getting to a point where it's, it's worse than Iowa. Like there's and it, and it all, it ultimately boils down to the offensive line. And it, it's as simple as that. I don't know how you could possibly bring Dickie back and not hit the portal hard. I mean, 
that needs to be where their focus is from now moving forward. Try and get, you know, I mean, try to regroup, but that should be their main focus from from here moving on, or else they're, they're not winning anything with that offensive line. They're winning nothing. Matt Randall on YouTube. We want Yersich. <laughs> yeah, he's they he's come around be- eventually, don't they, Colby? Come around eventually. He's got a little better job at the moment up there in uh, Happy Valley. I don't. I don't think he's going anywhere. But what's your well, what's your next BB? And Yersich had the number one scoring offense in the country with no running game, no offensive line. That's that's my next BB. My Gundy, you have to be able to run the ball. You have to have an offensive line. This is not a new problem. And Marshall asked him about how it's been a problem for years. Well, I, I can't answer that about the last couple of years, but it's been, got some injuries this year. No, Mike. It's been a decade of futility. You've had great quarterbacks that have rescued you and, and and hid your deficiencies on the offensive line. And you had a running back last year that hit a ton of them and made things happen. Um, it's just, it's all bad. And until they fix that Colby, like there's, there's really nothing to get worked up about. I mean, the, the days of us worrying about college football playoff rankings seem like they were five years ago, not a month ago or two months ago. So that's my last BB. Yeah, college football playoff rankings, irrelevant. Who cares? Who cares? Should I give a bullet to TCU? Let's give a bullet to TCU. They just keep finding ways to win. Good on them. We're having, like, the magical season, the magical ride. I mean, how they ran their – that was an insane finish. I don't know what Sonny Dykes was doing running a play there and then running his kick team on. It worked, but – But it was stupid. They might lose K-State. Next week, they may win another one-score game, but I, I fear what will happen if they play Georgia in the first round of the playoff. I, I, I fear for the Big 12 if that happens. Yeah, I, my hope is that uh, since Ohio State and Michigan are going to play each other, my sincere hope is that TCU winds up the three if they go undefeated. I don't want to see them play Georgia, but by God, I would love to see them play Ohio State or Michigan. And I don't even know. They, they probably lose that game. I don't know. But I oh. don't. I know what happens if they play Georgia. It's probably not going to be good. Ohio State or Michigan, I don't know. Those teams are vulnerable. Ohio State messed around with the Turtles. They took all day to beat the Turtles yesterday. Michigan uh, had every chance to lose to Illinois. And if not for one of the most god-awful officiating blunders I've ever seen in my life on the offensive pass interference, did you see that, Carson? Uh-uh. You've got to go look at it. Michigan essentially ran a pick play on fourth and three on the game-winning field goal drive, but It was the most egregious blocking downfield by a wide receiver before the quarterback throws the ball I've ever seen. The wide receiver put both of his arms up and he blocked two defenders out of the way on fourth and three and Michigan threw it past the line of scrimmage to convert on fourth down. It it was unbelievable. Brett Bielema even tweeted after the game. He said to all the Illinois fans upset uh, at this play, we will do everything we can in practice to learn how to to defend it more properly next time. Kind of just taking a very subtle shot at the officials. I mean, my God, Michigan, should be 10 and one today, not 11 and 0, because that was a joke and a travesty from those officials. They get a BB too. That was a disaster. I'm glad I didn't see that. I would have lost it. I mean, Michigan's such a joke. And I hope we do get TCU Michigan. I, I might wear purple all week. If we get that matchup, I might fly that, that flag that they were showing with the, with the when they debuted their uniforms on Twitter, that, that yeah. hypnotized frog on. Yeah on some stuff, whatever he was on. I might, I might be flying that flag out in my front yard when, if they play Michigan. So, uh, you know, let's go to the Chris's uniform review again, get some comments in. We're going to wrap up here, uh, brought to you by Chris's university spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at Chris university spirit.com Colby. I nailed it. Orange, white, orange curse of Cowboys. 
My mom nailed it too. She was, she initially wanted to go orange, 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 but we made her switch the shirt for the road game. And she was like, all right, orange, white, orange. So yeah, y'all, y'all were both on it. Uh, I was a little surprised we didn't get black helmets. Yeah. I just thought, you know, they, they, they beat these uniforms because they didn't want to be like wearing the same thing every game. It's kind of devolved to that this year. They weren't a lot of predictable combos against predictable opponents. I think they just wanted to be a little more unpredictable and kind of like your mom's point, show up in orange, you know, I thought it, it looked better in person. I'm sure on TV, they still look like the Cleveland Browns, but in person, man, those pants just pop. And I thought the helmets, it's still almost impossible to get the helmets to match the pants, but in person, I thought they looked pretty good and pretty sharp. Uh, yeah, they looked good. They looked good. You've gotten uh, crushed a couple times now in the orange curse of Cowboys. So I don't know when we'll see those again, but they definitely look good. Um, yeah, I mean, they always look good, but it's just it's hard for me to get excited about uniforms after last night. Yes. Thank you, Matthew K. Hypnotoad. I'm going to be flying the Hypnotoad if they get to play Michigan. Ohio State, less so. I mean, Ohio State's the anomaly in that conference, but Michigan is like a perfect example of overinflated, overrated, played the worst non-conference schedule ever, I think is what I saw tweeted. They're, they're a complete joke. So I hope we get that matchup. Uh, anything else, Colby? Did we, did we miss anything, anything nationally you want to discuss? Uh, I don't, I, I'll say this. So we kind of disagree about USC. That game last night is the exact type of game that they can win against another finesse team when they just need to be, you know, kind of the last team with the ball. They, they pick off uh, DTR right there at the end. Um, that's the kind of game that USC can win. And with Tennessee getting obliterated by South Carolina, Hendon Hooker clearly suffered a, a disastrous knee injury. That was hard to watch. Feel bad for him. He's, he's fixing to be 25 going into the NFL off that knee injury. I feel really bad for him because that was – it just could not have come at a worse time for his future. Um, but yeah, South Carolina just takes Tennessee, makes them look ridiculous. Um, it was a tough, tough night last night for teams on the road. USC, I guess, won. Uh, but Tennessee went on the road, struggled, got torched. Ole Miss, who probably should have beat Alabama a week ago, went to Arkansas and got just brutalized by the Razorbacks, totally embarrassed. OSU got embarrassed in Norman. Uh, tough night for the road teams. But I, I'm, I will be very curious to see how the next two weeks play out. And if USC does wind up a one loss team, if the committee figures out a way to get them in. I think USC is, they might lose 70 to nothing if they play Georgia again. Like it's, it's amazing that this is the big challenge for, for Lincoln Riley and USC, this UCLA team that lost to Arizona last week. Like this is the giant hurdle that they still barely and i mean barely win like now i like this is why he went to usc talk about no challenge whatsoever uh it's just usc's like caleb williams is amazing don't get me wrong he's a great quarterback he's doing what they did in, in norman you know just mask a lot of deficiencies much in the way that, that spencer's been able to most of his career so i think usc is a joke the fact that that's like their big test colby is pretty embarrassing <laughs> Uh, yeah, it is. I, they will ve may very well lose in the Pac-12 championship game uh, here in a couple of weeks. But Lincoln Riley and Caleb Williams, those guys get a lot of love nationally. So I'm curious what happens if they do run the table. Uh, Carson, real quick, an honorary BB. I actually watch because I've got three TVs now in the living room. And it's really hard whenever I had one TV. It was really hard for me to convince my wife, hey, you know what we should do on Friday night? We should put Oklahoma State UCF in the Bahamas on our TV. But... Now I can go on the third TV on mute and I can just kind of keep an eye on it. Somebody make a shot. I, what else do you say? Just make a shot. It's basketball. 
at some point, you've just got to put the ball in the bucket, make a shot. Avery Anderson was 100% from the free throw line on the season. Missed two in overtime. They hit Asbury hits two threes with like 15 minutes to go in the first half. The team doesn't hit another one the rest of the game. I, I can't make sense of it. Somebody make a shot. Yeah, I mean, and I'm I'm kind of over I'm kind of over breaking down OSU not being able to hit a shot. I mean, haven't we been talking about that for like six years under Mike Boyden? Yeah, and that's why I don't even want to dwell on it. It's just somebody hit a shot. That's he, he hasn't like he's built kind of like Thunder Ultra Mega Light in that they're long, they're athletic, they can defend, but they can't hit the broadside of a barn and they just can't score. And it just it, it kills them. And that's just where the game has moved. It's moved to shooting space and scoring and they're they're an elite defensive team but if you can't put the round object into the cylinder you're not going to win basketball games and this has been a recurring problem for Mike Boynton and I'm sure Mike Gunny's ready for us to start talking basketball because the other Mike's got a lot of issues that that basketball program is heading not in a good direction still under his watch and we'll get to basketball but for me, it's more of the same when it comes to Mike Boynton and his program and the program he's built and recruited to. It's just, it's not good enough offensively. No, you just, you've got to be able to score. The, the team doesn't have an alpha, doesn't have a leader. Uh, Avery was supposed to be that guy after Cade left. Avery's just kind of been fine since Cade left. Bryce Thompson was maybe supposed to be that guy whenever he came down from Kansas. Bryce Thompson's just kind of been fine. You know, those guys pop from time to time, but neither one's that alpha that you can count on night in and night out. So, uh, yeah, been tough on that side too. It's... Boy, there's just a lot of doom and gloom around Oklahoma State athletics. Uh, BB to the tiebreaker situation for cross country, two hundredths of a second. I, I mean, I tweeted at you, Squinky's out early. I mean, really, really, we we're we're tied on points in the cross country national championship, and Northern Arizona wins the tiebreaker. That's how we figure this out as a tiebreaker. I, I mean, I don't have a better way, but it's just, again, it, it's just everything is is going poorly right now for Oklahoma State athletics. And poor Dave Smith, the coach, has to like, had to like file like a a protest to see if the timekeeping system was accurate. Like that's where we're at with Squinky now. We have to reevaluate how we keep time. It's so heartbreaking. Two hundredths of a second. I'm ready for diamond sports, Carson. Baseball and softball can't get here fast enough. It it would be it would almost be funny if it wasn't just so dang disappointing and and hurtful to be an OSU person, isn't it? It, it, it would be funny, I think, at, at times, but it's just not. Carson, we're the golf guys. In the last year, we've seen the best players on the women's and the men's team transfer. It, it's, oh, not yeah. gonna be, it's not going to be a great spring for golf. Uh, Honorary BB for uh, Brian Stark for going to, to Austin, transferring to Texas. Yeah, sure, he can have one. Sure, that's just – I'm telling you, baseball and softball, it's it's – about what we've got to look forward to right now. Women's basketball is undefeated. So, uh, new coach doing a good job early. So, who knows? I don't know. I just, nothing feels good right now. We should probably shut it down. Now I'm just rambling. Yeah, we'll see. Colby, this was fun. This was therapeutic. Um, nope. Far more fun than, than Saturday night was. But um, we'll we'll get back with you next uh, later on this week for uh, to preview a really just sputtering pathetic end of the season playing West Virginia like that that's going to be the thunderdome of sadness between those two teams playing in the year we're going to have to play uh probably Thursday whenever we record the preview for the West Virginia game we'll play a little over under on the attendance for Saturday oh well, we got Thanksgiving Thursday you want to do it uh Wednesday 
Oh, I forgot about Thanksgiving. Yeah, we'll probably probably do a Wednesday then. And yep. uh, yeah, but yeah, we'll play over under on the attendance for Saturday's game at 11 a.m. with two lame duck teams with nothing to play for. Yeah, well, we saw a Big Ten stink sign uh, in Stillwater this year. Maybe we'll get some higher uh, higher an OC, higher an O line coach signs. I don't know. It could get it could get pretty ugly inside the stadium if things go poorly. Uh, it definitely could. It definitely. I man. I, I hope it works on Saturday. It needs to. Um, Carson, great stuff as always. Appreciate Marshall Scott joining us, Chris University Spirit, for continuing to support this podcast. Uh, and everybody who tuned in today, uh, I know for some people this is therapeutic. For some people it's, it's frustrating. Uh, but we're, we appreciate the interaction uh, and everyone who listens. We, we love doing this pod even whenever it goes poorly. Obviously, these games aren't as much fun to talk about. But, uh, yeah, tough one last night, Norman. We're back later in the week. Uh, everybody have a good week. Thanks for listening. Go Pokes.